Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. Belmont. Sure are. You really are. I, myself, though, I'm different. I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. You. All of you. All of Even you. Even that guy. All the listeners he's in the in. sky. Look at him. He's excited. That guy especially. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, stoked. Yeah, we're all excited to be Ooh, here. You he too. Needs to, he needs to calm down a little bit. I think maybe yeah. he started the uh, What Are We Drinking segment. I admire his enthusiasm. Tom, what are you drinking? <laughs> uh, I'm having an invented drink that I made up because I had some Carolyn's Irish Cream and Jameson's sitting in my shelf. And I said, I'm going to put those two together because that's what you put in an Irish car bomb when you drop them in a Guinness. Problem is, I don't have any Guinness. Uh, also Irish car bomb, sometimes considered offensive. I'm part Irish, so mm. I'm okay with it, but maybe you're not, in which case I'm going to call this an Irish car fuse. So it could be the fuse to a bomb, or if you want to be less violent, it's just the fuse in your car that keeps the electrical system safe. <laughs> and it's so also not, delicious. Not necessarily alluding to violence. I no, like not necessarily. Can, you can read it however you want. I'm also drinking a, uh, I, I'm drinking a whiskey. Um, I'm drinking James Pepper 1776 rye whiskey, uh, which mm-hmm. I've been drinking a lot recently. I had the idea that I was going to drink uh, a bone shaker wine, which is a very steampunk themed wine. Yeah. Do you, do you usually serve that when Sherry Priest comes over? When she comes over to hang out and talk about <laughs> She just comes over to rituals. hang out and have whiskey? Yeah. yeah. Um, but or I wine. gave it away as a gift. So oh, to Sherry Priest, obviously. Yeah. And then I got lazy about uh, opening another bottle. So I just opened the rye whiskey I already had. And so I'm a little bit buzzed right now because we already have been podcasting for like an hour and a half. Uh, it's the story of many a hobo, Veronica. They wanted to open the wine, but they'd already given it away. So they cracked into the rye whiskey. Are you calling me a hobo? I mean, I'm not saying you are a hobo, but... Rye whiskey is a popular drink amongst hobos. Didn't know that. What was that sound, Tom? That was sound of my bindle. I was just <laughs> adjusting it over here to the side. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. Sounded weird. All right, let's jump into the quick burns. Uh, yes, lots of awards. It's pretty much all awards. Uh, we had mentioned the Philip K. Dick Awards, and we thought we should follow up and let you know that Ramez Nam's Nexus trilogy uh, has taken home the Philip K. Dick Award. Congratulations. That is phenomenal. Oh, I want to read his book so badly. I don't have time to do any reading. I know, so much reading, so little time. That is the bane of all of our audience's existence, and in large part because of us. Yeah. As I mentioned, uh, I really want to get him on the show sometime in the near future, so maybe that's something I can schedule. Although now that he's a Philip K. Dick Award winner, I feel like he's going to be too cool and busy. Well, or if it's because it's a Philip K. Dick Award, he might just be too paranoid to answer your email. <laughs> Perhaps. You might think it's from Valus. I don't know. I don't know how these awards work. Who's to say? Um, the Hugo Awards, speaking of which, uh, those nominees. Oh, those. Those, <laughs> oh, those. those I said, not- I know how those work. 
Ow, I just pulled my earbuds really hard so and it what hurt we're my doing ear. is starting a slate. No. Ow! Um, the reason we're mentioning this while Veronica puts her ears back together <laughs> is that uh, the nominations close March 31st. So if you are a member of Worldcon in Spokane Ow. or Mid-American 2 uh, or a member of 2017's Worldcon, you can nominate your favorite works through March 31st. That includes novels, includes novelettes, includes fan casts. Uh, fan casts, totally weird. separate, totally separate note. We are a fan cast. Totally unrelated. To totally unrelated to the about. Hugo nominations closing March thirty first. Hurry up. Oh, well, speaking of winners, um, the winners of the twenty fifteen Aurealis Awards have been announced, um, and there's some good stuff on here. Best children's fiction, A Single Stone by Meg McKinley. Best graphic novel, illustrated work, The Singing Bones by Sean Tan, and uh, best young adult short story, The Miseducation of Mara Liss by Deborah Collin. Um, so yeah, you can head over to SF Signal. They've got a list of all the award winners. A lot of great stuff on here to add to your ever growing to read list. And the Ditmar Awards, given by members of the Australian National Science Fiction Convention, have been given out. Lament for the Afterlight by Lisa L. Hannett won Best Novel. Of Sorrow and Such by Angela Slatter uh, won Best Novel, Novella, or Novelette. Uh, Best Short Story went to A Hedge of Yellow Roses by Kathleen Jennings. And Best Collected Work went to Cranky Ladies of History by Tansy Rayner Roberts and Tahani Wesley. <laughs> We also have the awards announced for the British Science Fiction Association Awards uh, for 2015. Best Novel, The House of Shattered Wings. Uh, Best Short Story, Three Cups of Grief by Starlight. And Best Artwork uh, was the cover for Ian Watts' Pelguin's Comet. Ian White's Pelguin's Comet. Is it white? Is that how you say that? I don't know. I just said it with an accent to cover the pronunciation. Is it like Welsh or something? Uh, No, I think it's just white because it's W-H-A-T-E. Wait. And best nonfiction, Raven Wait, Let Die, so. the SF and Fantasy of 2014 by Adam Roberts. Congratulations to all the winners. So many winners. We've won an award once. We did. We won the, the Parsec, um, Parsec yeah. Award in 2014. <laughs> all right. So uh, quick burns from Goodreads. Louie uh, pointed out that Andy Weir has, I don't know if uh, he announced or released or admitted no, uh, yes. that, he, that he wrote fan fiction for Ready Player One. And it is now canon you can read La Caro uh, at galactnet.com. No, this is uh, awesome. Th- there are spoilers for Ready Player One, though. So if you haven't read Ready Player One, you might not want to sample it just quite yet. But if you have, as I know many of you have, uh, go check it out. Yeah, this is a great story, actually. So yeah, Andy Weir, big fan of Ready Player One. Uh, Ernie Klein went and read The Martian and was really taken by it. And then when he heard that uh, Andy Weir wrote fan fiction, he checked it out and he was like, yo, bro, this is canon now. This is like, this is legit. Yeah, he dubbed it. This He's like, legit. boom. Yeah, so, I have I have approved this as the creator. Actually, so, based on this story, I had to explain to someone what canon meant. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. If, well, if there is anyone in the audience who doesn't know, that means it's officially included in the history of the universe. In that the is historical the, context, yeah. yes. Uh, do you think Ernie Klein should write some Martian fan fiction now? I think so. I think it only makes sense. I think it would be perfect. I mean, I, I ship I'm not that. saying I'm shipping that. that he's a friend of our friend Brian Brushwood, but maybe we could make him do it. I mean, I've had I've interviewed him before. I mean, I think I feel like we've got some sway. <laughs> we talked to him once. On I talked to him once. Yeah. I talked to him twice. I, I, had, go, him on, I had him I on Game go, On. I used to go to Slam Poetry at the Electric Lounge. Oh, you're such an Austin nerd. Right? I know Whammo. Come on, Ernie Klein. 
give me some Martian fan fiction. Mm-hmm. No, it's fine. If you, you, he's busy. He's very busy. He's got a movie. Spielberg's doing a movie for him. He's fine. He's fine. We shouldn't push him, but it'd be awesome. Don't push it. Don't push it. Uh, finally, Joanna, The Warrior's Apprentice, is being reprinted for its 30th anniversary. Joanna wrote that on Goodreads. Uh, it came out June of 1986, which means that if you count from publish date, uh, I'm only a week or so older, says Joanna. I myself am much You are old. a tiny baby. Uh, Joanna a tiny says baby human. Considering that it's still my favorite all-time series, this makes me happy. Good for you, 1986. Uh, I don't uh, think here comes the part where Tom gives me crap about being yeah. born in 1982. You know who was Nixon was president when I was born. Uh, Ronald Reagan was president when I was born. I um, voted for no, I didn't. I <laughs> didn't voted in the school election but didn't for Ronald count. Reagan. Yeah. Did you no, vote for him because he was John, an actor and you thought he was cool? I voted for John Anderson in 1980 because he was the independent candidate. Lost in the annals of time. True story. Hey, so we have an ad this week, um, but it's an ad that we care about deeply because it is from a friend of the show. Uh, Scott Sigler um, yes. is coming out with a new book. Should uh, I go advertising on him? Can yeah, I, I you want to do commercial? advertising voice? Please do. This episode of Sword and Laser is brought to you by Scott Sigler and his new book, A Light, book two of the Generations Trilogy. You like Hunger Games, Red Rising, or Divergent, or know someone who does? Get this series. We don't want to spoil you, but Veronica, what would you say about this book? M. Savage is strong and smart, but with the naivete and misgivings of any teenage girl, she's someone you'll definitely want on your side when shit hits the fan, which it most certainly does. Book One Alive is already out in hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. So get it. Read it by April 5th when the hardcover, ebook, and audiobook of A Light come out from Del Rey. By the way, both audiobooks are read by Emma Galvin, who does the Divergent series. Mm-hmm. And hey, Book Three alone is out October 26th. So now is a great time to get into the series. So go hie thee hither to Audible, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or scottsigler.com, or even our very own show notes at swordandlaser.com and get a copy now. Do it. We are super excited. And thanks to Scott Sigler for sponsoring Sword & Laser. Don't show your naivete. Go buy it. <laughs> All right. Well, now it is time for our book of the month discussion. Uh, We are wrapping up All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. Well, hold on. We're not yet. Oh. Right? Big thanks to everybody who voted in the March Madness tournament. That was fun. Can you believe? I cannot believe. I cannot believe that it came to a tie. Like, I woke up in the morning and Sean Sandalak tweeted at me. Being like, what are you going to do, Belmont? Because after all of our democracy, which fails us, all of our voting, all of our choosing, 16 books, hundreds of votes, and yet, and yet, in the final round, it came down to two books, A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab and The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, and they dead tied i'm not even talking like it was a close tie or like oh you know this was is too like, close oh, to call oh there's only it's only by one vote maybe we should give them both a chance no it was exactly the same number of votes at the deadline when the poll closed a dead ass tie i mean that was pretty shocking i mean i i was very blown away by this and look it, it was shocking i'm not gonna lie this is not what we expected however we had a tie for the vote for sheriff in Greenville, Illinois, back in the 90s. So I knew what to do, which was not a coin flip, which is what they did in Bond County to pick the sheriff. 
Uh, I abdicated responsibility and said, Veronica will pick. All right. So I, I, I did. It, it, had, it ended up being dictatorial anyway, which is crazy to me. Sort of. Sort of. Sort I mean, of. We, got, yeah. we got to this final round, which I think is important. Hopefully everyone felt like they had a fair chance to vote for, for books that they would want to read. Um, and I picked for our official pick, A Darker Shade of Magic, because we have not read anything by V.E. Schwab before. Um, and we have read N.K. Jemisin in the past. We read 100,000 Kingdoms, which was wonderful. So, you know, in the tradition of Sword and Laser, we have a main and we have an alt pick. So no pressure if you can't get to both books. That's fine. If, if, if you wanted to read one much more than the other, I totally get it. Pick that one. But, you know, I have to read three books this month, so I'm prioritizing and I have a main and that main is going to be a darker shade of magic. Yeah. And and this is more than just an alt pick because it essentially tied for yes, a win. It did. Uh, so if you want to just read the fifth season, go for it. Uh, we are having a very good discussion already and good reads about it. Uh, but it, it's it's basically both books and Darker Shade of Magic gets the slight nod only again because we've never read anything from V.E. Schwab before. Uh, N.K. Jemisin's been on the show twice. We love her. Mm -hmm. uh, so so go read that book. But that is what it's going to be. Now we have, uh, we will do a formal kickoff of the book's next book club episode. So in two weeks. But just a reminder if you are a backer at patreon.com slash sword and laser and you pledge $5 an episode, you should have the book briefing in your inbox or go check out patreon.com slash sword and laser. It's posted up there and you can get a lot of details about both books to get yourself ready to read them. And speaking of which, we have big plans for our patrons um, in terms of project ideas moving forward. So if you want to get in on that action, now is the time. Some cool stuff is going to happen for our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Yeah, that level, the $5 an episode level is the level that you get early warning stuff so you'll be the first to find out about it once yeah, it happens you'll know all right time to wrap up our book pick for march and here to talk about our book of the month all the birds in the sky is author charlie jane anders welcome to the show charlie Hey, it's so great to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. Now, we were told, uh, we read a little thing on the internet that perhaps you would do some kind of uh, a puppetry <laughs> in order to explain parts of the book. Is that, that, is that, the that, book? Is that out of the it's question? It's not just on the internet. It's in I mean, my we're, print we're, copy of the book. We're audio here, so I guess that won't really work too, too yeah, well. So maybe I a rain mean, check. I can come up to your house afterwards and do it. You know, I got okay, that's it's right that's here, fine. the origami puppets, the finger puppets. You know, that's only if you didn't understand, if it, or if, you, if, the book, if the book didn't make any sense to you, which... You know, luckily, I think I dodged a bullet. So far, I haven't had to do that for like more than a few hundred people. So, <laughs> you know, have you actually done this? No, I haven't. I haven't <sighs> yet. People are like, oh, come over and do the puppets. And they're like, okay, did the book actually not make any sense? And they're like, no, it made sense. And I was like, but, you know, that's only if you really think the book didn't make any sense that I'll come over and act it out with puppets. So, so far, nobody's had like the, the uh, moxie to, to claim that the book made no sense to them just so they could see the puppet show. Oh, so man. That's, that's good. I so feel like far. I might want to do that just to get the puppet show. Like, yeah, I might I not be honest. Would. I have oh, that yeah. kind of moxie. Oh, oh, well, next time, I guess we'll we'll figure it I out. Think, yeah, I think you've given yeah. yourself away already. <laughs> so Charlie Jane, for those of you who don't know, is the editor at io9. You're a Hugo Award winner for Best Novelette, a Nebula nominee, and of course, author of our book pick of the month. Now, is this was this your first published novel? No, actually, I had a novel published back in uh, 2005. Uh, called Choir Boy, but that was a long time ago and it was a small press and it was sort of a different genre and a different kind of book. 
And I wrote a few other books in between that, that just never got published one for one reason or another. But meanwhile, I was just, you know, plugging away, kind of doing, doing, you know, a bunch of short stories and writing different novels and just kind of trying to keep trying to sharpen my, uh, whatever my skills. And so how many, how many books do you have in the can at this point? Uh, like six, I guess. But you know, that I think that, you know, it was a learning curve. It was definitely a learning curve. There was definitely a lot of like, okay, you know, uh, the other books didn't quite kind of land. They, they didn't quite kind of, uh, have, have as much like, they didn't stick to their, their idea as, as closely mm. as, as Oliver the Sky did. It's not, I don't, I want to claim that I've improved as a writer, but I think the thing that was different about all the birds in the sky is that, um, it has a better, like it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't kind of wander off course as much as some of my other books. It doesn't just kind of see a shiny thing off in the corner and then go, Oh, shiny thing. And just kind of, you know, hundred pages later. So will you save those books for posthumous publication of your papers into a collection <laughs> in a library or? I mean, it's all, I'm sure, you know, they're all on hard drives here and there and, and stuff. And, you know, I, I gave them to tons of people. So a lot of people have read them here and there, but, uh, you know, I'm sure that I'll cannibalize bits of them. I've already done that with one of them and I'm sure other, it'll all come out one way or the other, I think eventually. Well, our first question off Goodreads uh, could apply to any of those books, including All the Birds in the Sky. Uh, Jenny wants to know how your day job uh, at io9 impacted the novel. Uh, and I think specifically Jenny's asking about All the Birds in the Sky. Yeah, and actually it was really interesting because like, I had been writing novels uh, for years before I came to work at io9. That was kind of – I consider you know, being a fiction writer to be my quote-unquote my, – my real job kind of. And I considered – you know doing other kinds of writing to be just kind of what I did for money. And so I was like concerned at first if I, you know, I went to work for io9, you know, that it would get in the way of the novel writing. And, and it definitely was hard to juggle them for a while. It was a lot of, uh, a lot of work just to keep doing both things at the same time. But, you know, I was also worried that, you know, I would get too, you know, into being a critic and wouldn't be able to turn that off when I was writing or that my bloggy voice would, kind of take over and I would just be writing, you know, bloggy, snarky stuff all the time, which I think lots actually, of gifts in the middle of your novel. Yeah, lots of gifts. That'd be cool. I should talk to my publisher about, can we have some more gifts in my yeah, next book? Yeah, that'd, 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 yeah. that'd be awesome. But you know, just, and, and you know, would it kind of, uh, would I just become too kind of journalistic or whatever, if, if this was really like what I was spending sure. so much of my time doing. And actually I found that, um, it was good because the IO9 thing, a, I kind of got, more schooled in science fiction and fantasy. I already knew a lot about it before, but getting paid to just kind of learn all about the genre and talk to tons of smart people about the genre and just kind of steep myself in it more. Uh, I think it, that by itself just kind of improved my writing a lot because I, I kind of had to really, um, you know, I learned so much about it and just geeking out with really smart people about storytelling, like the readers at io9 are some of the smartest people I know. And they're just some of those conversations. I feel like I come away with like a lot more ideas and insights and stuff. And so it's actually been really beneficial. It's weird. I, I was worried it was going to just throw me off. And it's actually, I feel like I've just learned so much. It was like getting paid to go to grad school kind of. Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of on that theme of the idea of, of influence from from other works, uh, Stephen has a question. Did I, I did I note a Pratchett flavor to the character of the assassin, or was that just my imagination? I mean, I think it's a little bit of Pratchett, a little bit of Douglas Adams. Maybe there was definitely a little bit of like, especially early drafts of this novel. I was very much like, how far can I push it in that kind of Douglas Adams kind of uh, 
satirical, absurd, weird, silly kind of direction. And, you know, uh, the assassin character, Theodolphus, is kind of the main thing that kind of stays around from that. And, um, you know, it's just, I think that um, there was a lot, there was, there was definitely, I mean, I think that where Pratchett comes out most of all is in the character of Patricia and her whole journey to become a witch because I had just been reading all the Tiffany Aching. Tiffany Aching. I, I never and, thought about you know, that until you just said it. That's, but that's, those yeah. books, it's hard not to just, you know, those books feel so right on so many levels that you're just like, okay, it's not even like I've read the best book about witches. It's like I've watched a documentary about witches and I know what real witches are like now because I've read these books kind of. And so it's like, you know, it's hard not to be influenced by some by the Tiffany King books if, if you're writing about a young witch, I think. Yeah, we were uh, we had book club last night actually over at Borderlands and we were talking about your novel. And, oh, cool. um, I should have invited you. Yeah, <laughs> now I, that I think about have. it. And uh, we were all talking about how one of our favorite scenes was when uh, when Theodophilus, I'm not saying it right now, even though I'd listened to the audiobook. Um, but when he eats the ice cream and there's this oh, yeah. set up to that moment of like, you know, he always learned to not to not don't eat the ice cream, everything. Hits the poison. <laughs> He's like, But just this once, I'm going to treat myself. And then of course, it is in fact poisoned. Right. And I just that moment is so funny and, and so great. And it's really stuck oh, with me over the past couple of reads. Um, oh, and nice. it, it's clearly resonated with a lot of our, our listeners as well. Oh, great. Cool. I, I think uh, I count myself among these. A lot of folks just really love Lawrence and Patricia and and watching them grow up uh, through the book in multiple ways. But Josh has the question that's on a lot of people's minds. Did you ever want Lawrence and Patricia to get into a physical relationship or was there concern that that would be maybe too formulaic? Did you ever not want them? Sorry, I said that wrong. Yeah, I mean uh, – I don't want to get into spoiler territory too much, but there is some stuff that happens between them. Full spoilers later. are allowed here. This is the book wrap-up episode. So oh, okay, if they, they so, have yeah, yeah. read it by now, okay. then tough, tough we've, duties. We've already given the warning. We're clear. Okay, great. Well, you know, they do actually hook up fairly late in the book, and that's like a big turning point in their relationship. And, you know, that was something that just felt right. It wasn't I, – I actually did not know that they were going to hook up for a long time, I thought, sort of thought, oh, you know, they might just always be platonic friends or they might have this super romantic love for each other, but never actually do anything physical about it. And both of those things seemed like they could, uh, work really well. Like I actually personally have kind of a hobby horse about, I really like seeing platonic friendships, um, in fiction that, you know, are as deep and as rich as, um, you know, romantic, relationships. And I was, I I sort of was like, Oh yeah, this is going to be just, you know, but then as I was writing them, it just kind of, that kind of snuck in and it just felt right. It felt, it felt like the right direction and it made everything that happened later, um, a lot more intense for a lot of different reasons, but also it just, it felt like where the characters were going, what it felt like kind of the direction that they were naturally going to go in. And, um, I think over the course of that whole section of the book where Lawrence is kind of dating this other person and Patricia's having kind of a, a messed up love life. And it just, that whole time, it sort of felt like it was just moving in that direction of the two of them getting together. And so when it happened, I was just like, okay, this, I mean, if, if it feels right, if it feels like what the characters actually would do, then I guess I got to go with it. I, I felt sad for the, the, the relationship with Kevin not working out. I really, I liked, I liked like Kevin. Kevin. 
Kevin was great. Yeah. yeah. Earlier drafts of the book, there was a lot more Kevin. Like he actually got to be a much more major character in earlier drafts of the book. And I feel bad that he got a lot of Kevin's stuff got cut partly because he was part of a subplot. There was a whole subplot that actually had to go, which he was heavily involved in. And also, um, it just, you know, it, there was a lot of that section of the book was when people earlier drafts, people, people felt like it just bogged down. Like the part where they're kind of just hanging around San Francisco drinking and talking about stuff. And, you know, I felt like that there was a certain amount of faith that the reader had to have that, yes, this is going somewhere. And I just didn't want to like, I don't know. I, I didn't want to. I, did I did I beta read that that content with earlier stuff with more Kevin because maybe that's like part of my attachment to Kevin like on my second read through not I having think... as much Kevin and being feeling a loss there. No, I don't think so. I think <laughs> the version you both times you saw the Kevin Light version kind of. Okay. Have you thought of uh, doing like a Rhoda with Kevin, giving him his own spinoff series? <laughs> Could do. I mean, you know, um, you know the whole the subplot that Kevin was involved with. Uh, that had to go was that you know how in the they're in they're in junior high school they're in middle school and there's this weird educational program that they're involved in called the uh the serenian program which is like all these weird Mm -hmm. tests and memorizing stuff and in earlier versions of the book that was a lot weirder and a lot more kind of like what the hell is going on because it just starts to seem more and more like the kids are are being asked to kind of deal with like impossible weird stuff that doesn't make any sense and you know then you start getting hints in this earlier draft of the book you start getting hints that the sovereignian program is actually being run by some weird cult that well worships elder gods or something and like some of the people running the school are in, in, are in, on, in on it and it's just like we got really weird and then later the people who had like been the top scoring students in that program kind of were in you know they kind of had this weird thing in common where they had been part of this like weird educational program that was actually connected to ancient alien stuff Mm. and it was really weird and fascinating and and lawrence was one of those people and so was kevin and so lawrence and kevin actually had this thing in common and they meet and it's like oh it's you and that was really interesting that like patricia is dating this guy who belongs to this kind of organization almost with with lawrence but it just it just didn't make it into the book and it was it was one thing too many kind of what, yeah. yeah. What I love about the book, another thing, is that living in San Francisco and I guess maybe being a part of the, you know, the genre community here, everybody, yeah. everybody I meet in the book, I feel like I know in a way, even though I don't know, I don't know the people they're based on or if they're even based on real people, but I always had such a sense of connection with even the the side characters. And, and that was part of what I think I told you the first time around was how much of a love story it is to San Francisco and to Boston, but mostly to San Francisco in so many ways. And I, I want to know, is, is Danger Bookstore, is that based on a place? Is that Borderlands? Is that a different place that you made up that is a place you would want to go to? Uh, how much is really based on the real San Francisco and how much is the San Francisco you want to see? <laughs> It's a lot of both. And a lot of it is kind of an idealized San Francisco that I wish, you know, I could visit or that used to be around or that, you know, I, I don't know. The thing with Danger Bookstore was that uh, it kind of came from a couple of different things. One was just sort of trying to imagine, okay, there's this ancient wizard, witch character, you know, where is, where does he spend all his time? Like, especially if he can't go outside, like what, where's the, 
where's the perfect environment for him to be kind of stuck? And so I was like, oh, how about this weird used bookstore that he just stays, lives, like spends all his time in with like this absinthe bar attached to it. And it sort of felt like this perfect encapsulation of like bohemian, weird San Francisco, kind of like, you know, all of those weird spaces that I've been to over the years. Um, there's also, there is this mall on Mission, I want to say near 20th Street, that's just like this super old dusty mall. I'm pretty sure it's still there. It was there, there the last time I walked by a while ago. And it has a couple of Spanish language bookstores. It has a couple of other things. And it looks like it, it has been just untouched for decades. And in the middle of all this insane gentrification where everything else has been torn up and, and ripped apart and uh, rebuilt as like something fancy and expensive, this old mall is just sitting there. And it's you have to wonder, you know, is there actually a wizard, you know, protecting it or something? Because it's it's just it seems like charmed in some weird way, kind of. And so I kind of was imagining that real place and what I would find if I wandered into one of those little bookstores, but then also adding, um, you know, this kind of idealized sense of like the Bohemian San Francisco at its like most perfect kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that actually ties in really well to Aaron's next question was, can we get Ernesto's backstory? Can that be a book? Yeah, I mean, I wrote, actually, Ernesto was one of the few characters, I wrote like 20 or so characters, like I wrote their backstories down as like little kind of just vignettes for myself. And most of that is not in the book. I've been posting some of it on my Tumblr occasionally. Um, But Ernesto is one of the few characters who actually has his backstory is in the book. Uh, He has that whole thing where he was um, basically there was this giant creature. There was like this endangered species and all the remaining members of the species gathered like smushed together into one giant creature that was kind of like, I picture, I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Princess Mononoke Mm -hmm. um, by Miyazaki, where there's like the kind of crazy, like there's a boar that kind of starts trampling around and it's like a giant kind of diseased, super giant boar and it's going to destroy everything. And it's like a a spirit that's gone kind of bad. That was kind of how I pictured that looking Mm. and it's kind of trampling the countryside and destroying everything. And Ernesto has to kind of step up and deal with it. And the way he does that is by uh, kind of taking all of that excess life energy into himself and just, you know, kind of absorbing it for himself. And uh, but with the, the effect that he kind of has too much life energy. And now, you know, if he goes outside without all these protections, he'll just everything will start growing out of control. Mm-hmm. But that was as far as I got with it. And I do think there's more because, like, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, how did he get to San Francisco? You know, I, I sort of had this idea he was from Mexico, but he had been in San Francisco for a long time. And, you know, also what was his relationship with Carmen? Cause I think that they had like, they had some kind of relationship when they were younger. And I definitely think that there's some stuff that I could, you know, I'm, I'm working on like one short story in the world of the novel right now. And I, I have a feeling it might not be the last one. Well, Aaron will be first in line. I feel like. <laughs> and Minsta cool. also on Goodreads too, Tom. Uh, well, yeah, no, Aaron will be the first in line for Ernesto's, uh, backstory, but you're right. Uh, Minsta's question is, is a sequel in the works? Are we going to get a full on, you know, more birds in the sky or something? Yeah, I don't currently have any plans for a sequel. I'm writing another novel that's completely unrelated. And my thought was, well, you know, if people really want a sequel, you know, maybe 10 years from now or 20 years from now, I'll, I'll have an idea for one. I am right now writing a short story, like I said, that kind of uh, takes place in that world and is 
clearing up one of the kind of loose ends that people have said bothered them in the book. Hmm. So that's, uh, that's, that's, I don't, I don't Can you say what them. that Can loose end is? Well, oh God, if I say, and then I don't get this short story done, I'm going to be in trouble, <laughs> but I'm, I think it's, it's looking pretty good. So basically people keep asking me about, uh, Patricia's cat, Berkeley <laughs> and what happened to the, the darn cat. And like, you know, um, it's a fair question. Yeah, so I was like, okay, fine, I gotta figure that out, and I gotta write, you know, just a short story about Berkeley and what happened to him, because otherwise, I think I'm just gonna like keep getting death threats and stuff or whatever from like cat lovers. People are yeah. very it's... passionate about what happens to the animals. Well, you I did know. a good job getting us attached to Berkeley too. I, I think know. I was like, you know, I should have, I should have thought more about that, and like, I did have thoughts about, like, I actually did have a conversation with my editor about, like, what about the cat, and I was like, well, you know, the cat. Is fine. The cat just kind of wandered off. I don't know, but I promise the cat's fine. The cat's fine. Yeah, but but that wasn't that. I, I can see now that that was not enough, and that I need to actually give the cat some closure. And so that's actually that's I'm like halfway done writing that right now. Yeah, I think I think my only question, and this is not a, a puppet necessitating kind of question, <laughs> um, right. but it's I not think puppet level. It's okay. not puppet level. But I was wondering the parents. Patricia and Lawrence's parents are, are all so horrible oh, consistently. Man. But I was wondering, are the parents really that awful? Or are we seeing them through the lens of children who always perceive their parents to be like next level awful? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think my, my gut feeling is that they are kind of awful, especially Patricia's parents. Like, I think they really are like, you know, when you look at like Roberta and who turns who... I feel like by the end of the book, she's actually grown a lot and is, is a better person, but they did kind of a number on her. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a thing that I cut, which I wish I had been able to keep in where, uh, Patricia is planning a dinner party. Like when the dinner party is in the book, it's the one where, uh, uh, she bakes some bread and then ends up throwing it at people. Oh, right. Um, yeah. but she's planning a dinner party and she's, um, she's thinking about how, when she was a kid, her parents would have these dinner parties and it was like super formal and they would invite their fancy friends over and Roberta would stand in the corner and play the violin, like standing up for like two or three hours. And like Patricia would just serve everybody and, and just kind of stand behind them. And, and, and it was this super creepy image of like what that was like. And then I was just like, Oh, there's, it's just one thing too many in a, in a part of the book that's already kind of overcrowded, but that's part of why, she really wants to have this dinner party be like this great thing because she has these memories of these terrible dinner parties from when she was a kid. Mm. So, I mean, I'm sure her parents weren't like all bad people, like nobody's all bad. And I think, you know, you get kind of hints that they actually had a caring side to them. But, um, I think that, you know, they just were really, really, um, they were really wound tight and had this kind of type a personality thing that was really kind of toxic and weird. And, I think that that's actually real. I, I think that, uh, yeah. I mean, if the narrator, it's, it's confusing because the narrator is, is omniscient, but it kind of turns more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it kind of becomes more of a tight narrator at various times. And so it's hard, sometimes hard to tell, like if you're getting, you know, an unreliable viewpoint or if you're actually getting like a God's eye kind of, this is what actually happened. Gotcha. Uh, but I, I tend to think that, you know, I don't. I don't think of it as a book that has a really un, a lot of unreliable narration in it. There, there were definitely 
like parents in the 70s, the reaction was you're over controlling of children and parents in the 80s and 90s, I think in reaction to that, were, were, were almost very selfish and self-absorbed. Right. And I, I think you captured that really well. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that with like the generational change or the generational difference. I think it's just that, you know, um, they're, um, you know, they're, they're just really wound up and there, there's this whole thing where they want everything to be a certain way. And they, they have this beautiful house that they've gotten. That's like this old spice warehouse and they just, everything has to be perfect. And they just, um, they project a lot onto these kids and it's kind of not healthy. Well, it starts so early with the even with their names, I right? Mean, they, yeah, yeah. They they couldn't let go that of the fact that they were they turned out to be girls instead of boys, so they just right. got the names and added added the A's at the end. That's right. <laughs> so it goes all the That's way back so to the weird. beginning. Well, Charlie Jane, thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with us about the book. Where can everybody follow your other works online? Well, I have a Tumblr, uh, all the birds in the sky tumblr dot com, and I'm on Twitter as Charlie Jane. And uh, I'm writing for io9 and uh, just all over the place. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. And, and I'm really super grateful that you guys supported the book and everything. Of course. Well, th- thanks for coming on the show. And thanks for writing the book. I really enjoyed it. Oh, yay. Thank you so much. And I'm still going to hold you to that puppet show just because puppets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm coming right over right now. I'm on I my think, way. I just think that would be fun to do with, with whiskey and puppets. And why not? <laughs> I am, I'm on my way. I'll be there in a minute. Thanks, Charlie Jane, so okay, much. Okay, cool. Thank you. That was so fantastic. So glad we got uh, to have her on she's the show. so great. So great. So smart, great writer, great blogger on io9 if you haven't read her stuff over there. I love so many of the people at io9, oh, Esther and, and Charlie Jane as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, just really, really fun. Good conversation. I mean, we have depended on io9 so heavily throughout the years <laughs> for content that it is only yeah. fair. <laughs> only fair. io9 SF Signal, uh, yeah, uh, uh, the Word Zone, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. I love all of those. I have some audacity in me, Ms. Belmont. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm watching us do all these ink shares collections. And I was like, hey, I write NaNoWriMo's. Maybe I'll try out ink shares, you know? And I also feel like as someone who is using ink shares as a publisher, I should try it out for myself as a writer. So I put a book up on ink shares. (gasps) Yes, you did. Pilot X is available on Inkshares now, and I am, I am frightened to death. I'm very, you're, are you frightened? Why are you? Frightened? I'm so frightened. Yes. Tell us why. I, I'm not frightened to put it up on Inkshares. I'm frightened to tell the Sword and Laser audience about it <laughs> because I think it's all right, and you guys are really smart about science fiction. So I don't want to overpromise. Uh, but it's the the story behind it is that I watched and loved the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Uh, But the story they told was not the story I was wanting or expecting, even though it was a great story. I had in my mind from the Chris Eccleston season on about how tragic it would have been to be a Time Lord that had to kill his own race and others and live with that fact afterwards, knowing it was the right thing to do, but still hating that you had to do it. So I wrote a story that was not about a Time Lord. It's not fan fiction per se. It's a different universe with a different group of of civilizations and different mechanisms of time travel. But it's about a man named Pilot X who just wants to tool around in his time ship uh, doing piloting work for the Elendans, which is the time traveling race, but gets caught up in a time war amongst the Elendans and two other races and has to face a very similar decision. No spoilers. So if that sounds like it's at all interested, 
to you. Uh, go to inkshares.com, look for Pilot X. That is the name of the book. I recommended it on Inkshares. I am the Thank top you. recommendee. On yes, Inkshares, you are. I have to say. So I appreciate that. I'm very excited for you. I'm excited to see how the whole process goes. And you still got 80 days left. Yeah, uh, we're more than halfway to the quill goal, which is, is incredible. So it looks like that's at least possible. And I, if we could make it to the full publishing mode, that would be amazing. That would be dope. Um, well, you guys have also done an amazing job supporting our show throughout the years. And of course, it's all possible thanks to Patreon. Uh, thank you to all the folks who back our show, as we said, at any level, any little bit you can give is always appreciated. It helps us, you know, do things like plan new projects and go to conventions and, and find and meet new authors to have on the show and plan events. And, and it's, you know, it makes it feasible for us to be able to do this as a part-time job. Um, so we appreciate any little bit you can give at patreon.com slash sword and laser. And of course, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Uh, if you're looking for books to read, ideas for things to read, maybe something you've heard mentioned on the show, we have a picks page at swordandlaser.com slash picks. And if you click on that, uh, and buy a book or anything through that link, that supports the show as well. So it, it kind of works both ways. Like, here's some good books. Here's some stuff we mentioned. Helps out the show a little. Check that out at swordandlaser.com slash picks. And thank you to all of you who have reviewed the show over on iTunes. Most recently, we had a great review from Mostro1106 from the U.S. of A, who says, because of Tom and Veronica, my Audible queue always has something interesting to listen to. Ah, that's nice to know. So Yay. grow your to-read list, grow your Audible wish list, grow all those places where you want to find and read new cool sci-fi fantasy books, and leave us a review if you enjoy Sword and Laser over on iTunes. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on Goodreads. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye. Savage is strong and smart, but with the night oh man, I'm ruining my own blurb because I can't it. pronounce the word that I wrote in the blurb. That's great. Nai Take two. How do I say that? Naivete. Naivete. M. Savage is strong and smart, but with the naiv naivete. <laughs> with the nativity. Naivete. 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 What would you say about this book? M. Savage is strong and smart, but with the naivete. <laughs> we'll, we'll just pick up from there, Ms. Belmont. <laughs> naivete. Naivete. Yes. M. Savage is strong and smart, but with the naivete. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's the full sport. Yep. Na All right. Naivete. Naivete. Yes. Naivete. Take five. M, S <laughs> M. Savage is strong and smart, but with a naivete. Oh, balls. <laughs> naivete. <laughs> M. Savage is strong and smart, but with a naivete of misgivings of any teenage. <laughs> I said it wrong, didn't I? I can tell because your face is red. <laughs>
<laughs> naivete. M. Savage is strong and smart, but with a naivete, <laughs> I'm adding an extra consonant. Naivete. Naivete. Hold on. Hold on. Naive. You're doing the same thing I am. Naive. It. A. Naivete. Okay. Take seven. Oh, boy. Okay. 100. 